from the very, very beginning, the Buddha taught the Dhamma to one-on-one or to a small group. Yeah, okay. It's always been done that way. And that um, basically, that's how it operates in the watch, even in Thailand, that you do go to visit your teacher, you do see your teacher, the student monk goes to see his teacher uh, every day. And they will have some Dhamma, and also that the teachers, depending upon their own tradition and background and what they have, will, let us put it this way, play tricks on the student. Okay. To wake them up. And that uh, that's kind of hard to do uh, in a retreat setting. Uh, then, in fact, the retreat setting is um, not very interactive. But the retreat setting is one way to make a lot of money. To have a whole lot of students come for a short period of time, dump a bunch of Dhamma on them, and get the money. <laughs> but that's not the way that tr- the Dhamma has been traditionally and typically taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's always been taught on a, on a one-by-one, and that, in fact, at Wat and Mok, I had basically three teachers, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, Achan Po, and Achan Lee. And that uh, possibly the, the most dialogue was done with Achan Lee in the sense of verbiage, because he spoke the best English. <laughs> Achan Po taught the Dhamma by the way he lived. And that one of the things that he would do with me would be to sneak up on me. I would be out in public or looking at what was going on. And the next thing I know, Achan Po has snuck up behind me and is whispering in my ear. (laughs) And I remember several things that he whispered. But one of them, uh, the most common one, was ta-ta-ta. He just walked by. And he would say ta-ta-ta, walking by. And basically what he was saying was, be here now. But in a deeper way, he was saying, you should be aware that I'm here. Here I am now. And you're not paying attention. (laughs) Another thing that he would say would be, not sure. He'd just walk up and say, not sure. And in fact, the first time he said that, I, I was taken aback. Because he normally would be saying ta ta ta. <laughs> but he would do other things. One of the things that he did uh, kind of on a regular basis was that he would just show up at, at my cootie. He would show up and stand outside or, and wait for me to figure out that he was there. Now, if I was out on the porch, I would know it. But if I was in the, uh, in the inside, then it may take me a while to figure out. And I don't know how long he'd been standing there. But I'd come out, Achan Po is standing in my yard waiting on me. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> saying, basically, wake up. Yeah. That here I am, and you don't know it. And so this is, uh, this is the kind of training that even on Skype is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
and another one that uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa did, and Achan Po too. In fact, I, I will say this about Achan Po. He was at, kind enough, at least kind enough to give me an 18-hour warning, telling me in the evening that, hey, at 6 o'clock in the morning, you're going to have to give a Dhamma talk. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and he'd give the topic. In fact, I remember several of them. One of them was uh, Sambo Jhana, the Seven Factors of Enlightenment. Because in that talk, I didn't talk very much about the Sambo Jhana, but rather I used the Sambo Jhana as a reference for how to teach Anapanasati. Mm. And that he was okay with that afterwards. Also, he was okay when I would use humor and get, have the whole crowd laughing. He says, oh, there's a place for that, too. <laughs> um, but in any case, what happened was that um, when he got from northern Thailand uh, and was around Achan Cha, that's the kind of thing that he got. And he didn't stay in Thailand very long, but he went to Burma. And when he got to Burma, that's when they were doing the Uba Ken retreats. Now, the Uba Ken retreats started in the 1950s as a way of uh, getting the lay people who were working for the newly forming and formed Burmese government after the British left. And so getting the time off so that they could take uh, get off of work on Friday evening, check into the center. And then the, the following Monday, uh, nine days later, they would finish up uh, the retreat and then all go back to work at the government. That was how the 10-day uh, the retreats got started. Okay. Uh, and that uh, the Mahasi and others picked up on that. And so uh, when Watson Mo started doing retreats, and in fact, it's possibly one of the biggest retreat centers now in the world. They have uh, the first accommodation was two buildings, each 60 people, private accommodations, and then they built two larger dormitories. Each one of those will house 125. So with two 60s, times 225 gives you 370 private rooms and they can run more than one retreat at a time and if they have everybody in one retreat it'll have to be across five dama halls with scheduled meals but didn't uh the buddha would have like kind of a big audience like that pardon like the Buddha, he would have sometimes audiences big sometimes or... a large audience okay well actually these retreats that I'm talking about, they got started for the Oriental Hotel. Okay. The Oriental Hotel at that time in the 1950s and 60s was the absolute best hotel in the world, hands down, nobody asked any questions. Where, in Burma? It was the first five-star hotel. Yes, it's actually a huge complex that's wow. right on the riverfront they're in Bangkok, and that part of their, um, uh, let us say, calling card was the, the Thai staff. Mm -hmm. 
but the Thai staff on a regular basis would come down to watch Soin Milk. They had this connection that a lot of people don't know about. The retreats actually got started for the Thai people because the whole staff or many of the staff uh, from the Oriental Hotel would come down. So here you have a bunch of Dhamma dudes literally running the best hotel in the world. <laughs> That's just so funny. <laughs> the irony. But anyway, now the Thai retreats, they have sometimes that many. They have as many as 370. And if there was uh, more than that, I'm sure that they could double up in some accommodations because some of the uh, rooms are bigger than just one bed. So anyway, the retreats uh, that they do at Wat Soen Mok is not how they train the monks. And that people who... Um, Back in the 1980s, in fact, when I was there, uh, there was a large, a fairly large Western community that people would, um, they would call themselves Dharma bombs. <laughs> oh, wait, uh, you said Dharma bombs? Dharma bombs, and that they would yeah. get a visa for one country after another. So they yeah. would spend three months in India, three months in Sri Lanka, three months in Nepal, three months in Thailand. They wrote a book. Burma did, pardon? They wrote a book, no? Yeah, but that was a whole different group. That guy eventually was an alcoholic who died in northern Canada. No, the Dama dudes that I know about, they just <laughs> they still have their backpacks and they're still out traveling and hoofing it, I guess. Or I guess I settled down. I was one of them at the time. We're talking about learning to live with little. If you yeah. had to pick up and carry with you everything you owned every time you left the house, you'd own a few less things. I think that would be easier to do, though, like in Thailand, Burma, India, you know, places like that. Here, it's like, you know, it's very it's it's intentionally difficult to be homeless and things like that in America. Actually, none of these guys that I'm talking about were ever homeless. We would just move from one temple to the next. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like wanderers. Stay like they were just wandering. Yeah, we would wander, but we would wander by flight or uh, by, by ship, whichever the cheapest transportation we f could get. Yeah. And, and move around. So there was quite a lot of people who were doing that back in the 70s and the 80s. But a lot of them would stay as long as they could at Wat Suen Mok. It was a really, really great place to hang out. And there was a lot of Dhamma. Yeah. Every yeah. night, Achan Po would come out and, and, uh, and, and spend time uh, with the folks. In fact, that's the time when I learned about bananas. Okay, go ahead. Well, you go see, ahead. bananas have phosphorus. They have a lot of phosphorus in the banana. And um, uh, though mosquitoes are attracted intentionally to carbon dioxide, they also really like the, um, uh, the phosphorus that are in the bananas. So what they would do to keep the, monk, to keep the mosquitoes off the monks, would they were offer bananas to all of the lay people, the Westerners around, who would eat the bananas, and then they would be... <laughs> Oh my God, that's great! <laughs> yes. Yeah, bananas are in fact well known in Thailand as a um, 
uh, a mosquito repellent. Oh, okay. You just have to have someone who's willing to eat the bananas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see. So, anyway, back to the point. When Buddhism then came to the West through uh, these, the Burma um, meditation retreats, some people got the idea there's some money in this. Yeah, yeah. That the traditional way of teaching the Dhamma, one on one or with a few uh, in a form, informal ways, the way that we're doing it here on Skype, the, that's so effective. It is, yeah. Um, that in a formalized retreat, you have to actually have an organized teaching system, mm-hmm. and that is almost always organized around beginners because you keep wanting to have new people come. Yeah, yeah. That uh, only very sophisticated big businesses won't repeat business. Like Johnson yeah. & Johnson want you to keep buying their nappies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you need nappies. But with many businesses, they want people, new people to come. And so almost all the retreats are designed around beginners. But that's also where the money is. In fact, the deeper people get into the Dhamma, the less oriented into money they become. Yeah. So funny thing about those who are running retreats, who are continued to run retreats and run it for a business as a profit, they never really become real Dhamma dudes. They may know all of the Dhamma, but they don't live it. I mean, that's, that's how kind of, it's always been hard for me to reconcile that, like, because money in itself is such already a burden in the sense of, like, you have to worry. In the sense, like, there's a, there's, um, it seems as a necessity, you know, I guess. Well, it's only a necessity because <clears throat> our culture yeah, demands exactly. that it be a necessity. Yeah. But there are huge pockets in our culture that don't demand that. That in fact, there are approximately 300 terawatt watts in the United States. That is, that and is now, true. And now I have a long list of, um, oh, about 100 of them, all the details including their email addresses and their, uh, uh, the abbot's name and all of this. But guess where I got it, this list? I had to translate it out of the Thai. Okay. Why? Okay. Well, because these are all Thai watts. Yeah. This okay, but you, all- are you speaking about like, a, for example, Danisaro Bhikkhu's watt, but that's not a Thai watt. Would you, is that a Thai watt? Actually, his watt is not on this list. Yeah, because it's, it's in English. It's an English speaking, you mean. Right. Okay. What I'm talking about are the Taiwans that have come to the West. And basically what it is, is that the lay people come. The Thai people uh, got started because many of them followed the U.S. military. But also Laos and Cambodia, they came to the West because they were refugees and finally by the millions were and the Cam- uh, Cambodians, Laos and Vietnamese. 
as well as Thai, now are in the millions in the United States. Wow. And, okay. and that Achan Reed had said uh, just recently that now there are more than 200 Thai Watts. And all of them want to teach the Dhamma, but there are cultural and language barriers. And so uh, the idea is um, there's two groups that that I would be looking at. Those that are already established teachers of the Dhamma, and then those who want to be teachers of the Dhamma. Now, I imagine that those who want to be teachers of the Dhamma are vast. That's the big group. Because those that actually uh, have gotten themselves established are few and far between, partly because of the issues of money and and lineage and other things like that. So um, many people think that the only option would be... uh, to go to some teacher training program and spend six or seven thousand dollars. No, I just I rather and, live in an ashram in India or something. <laughs> right. When in fact, what we would prefer them to do would be to do it the old original way of the Buddha, rather than this new method uh, that has only been tried now for about uh, oh less than a hundred years for sure. And doesn't work very well. It winds up being very money oriented, this issue of the retreats. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in fact, the Watts themselves would like to do retreats, but they don't have any English language teachers much. Which is weird, because why, why not? Because there's so many English monks, no? Less than 20. What, in all of America? Yeah, all of them are well-known, too. Very few. Well, maybe not 20. Maybe now there's 100. Because I would think about, like, well, actually, never mind. Because I was going to say um, Tid Naha. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, Plum Village. Um, which is more, like, very, like, more uh, kind of institution, though. Like, it's very big. It's a huge, you know, system. Mm-hmm. But it's very different than what we're, you know, our te- like, you know, the way you teach. It's very different. Um, Not so but much, it, but it, yeah, like with the languages in the sense, and and kind of like just the expression is different. Um, the but the you were gonna say um, there was few like are you saying I'm I'm forgetting all their names now like all Asian Cha's disciples, like they're very famous. All of Asian Cha's students, yes, starting yeah. with Achan Samedo and Achan Amaro, Achan Pisano, yeah, Achan yeah, exactly. Sukito, Achan. Uh, Subharo, uh, the list goes on, but not infinitely. It stops. Yes, yeah. yeah. There's, not, mm-hmm, there's not that many. Yeah. And that uh, many, many years ago, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and Achan Cha kind of made the arrangement that Achan Cha would be the one to ordain the Westerners. But there have been a few that's ordained under Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, not so many. And uh, how about in Thailand? Is there a lot of English books or others English speaking? Well, uh, there is Anchan uh, Dhammavitu, 
who lives on Kosamui. He's been a monk for 27 years. English. Uh, Santicaro has disrobed. Uh, Robert Bucknell, I don't even know what, I think it was Contipalo. He's disrobed. Um, so a lot of the Achan Bhikkhu Buddha Dasis monks have uh, disrobed. That's in fact what happens even in the Thai culture. I was going to ask, is it because of he died, he passed away? Uh, that had a whole lot to do with the fact that Dachan, or excuse me, that Wat Suan Mok went into decline. Mm-hmm. Because the monks there wanted a, a living teacher, and so many of them left. There, there was one point when I was there, uh, by about 2002, there was only like 20 or 30 monks that would show up for breakfast, which is a real indication of how few monks there were. But now there's a whole lot more. Um, it's, it's come back. It's well, come back, and back. Yeah. But, like, is it is it all paid for already, or is there bills still? I don't have anything to do with the finances, and neither does much of anybody else. Uh, the okay. Thai, I know Thai people are quite generous. Okay. Because, like, in fact, in everybody sense. is quite generous, which is another plug for the uh, if we can give the Dhamma freely, then that gives people the chance to uh, becoming open hearted. We teach generosity. Yeah, right? of course, because you're yeah. not. So how can you teach that. generosity to students that you're charging money for? Exactly. There's nothing you holding you back. Like there's no money involved. There's nothing. So. There's no like uh, social, you know, stuff. So um, the idea then is that if there there's a Dhamma school that has already the backing and the organization and whatnot uh, to put out a call and not just one call, but call after call, because he's really wanting, he's saying that there's a lot of students who are coming, or uh, want, a lot of students want to become meditation teachers. We can do that too, because we, ha- we have as much legitimacy. Yeah. All they have is uh, 20 years of um, uh, retreat centers and and some but with the lineage that we have with through bhikkhu buddha dasa achan uh pose support in fact i do want to talk with him about this um because i've just kind of gotten the idea that we can start a school also uh, that would be amazing to, to train uh, westerners to teach the dhamma so that yeah. they can teach it for free that would be and amazing. Many of them, and many of them can, in fact, quit their jobs and still be able to uh, have the support that they needed without having to uh, ordain. That is a dream. <laughs> oh, we're doing it. No, I mean, you know what I mean, though. Like, it's, it's that's a dream for, I mean, I think that's a dream for everyone who's, like, practiced enough. To like, well, that's amazing. Dennis, I'm inviting you to join our little club, our organization. We've already got nearly 20 guys that are involved with this. 
And the I new idea is to uh, to start with. Um, you see, there's an amazing advantage in people discussing the Dhamma. Why? For one thing, most of the things that you can discuss with the people that you know winds up in hindrance, greed, ill will, delusion, political yes. parties, religion, <laughs> cabbages, kings, you know, the whole nine yards of it. Yeah, Feeling yeah. wax, even we don't talk so much about anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but if two people are discussing the Dhamma, then they're talking the wholesome. Yeah. This is wholesome talk. And so people uh, can share the Dhamma. So the very students who want to become a teacher can talk with other students who want to become a teacher. They can hear each other's Dhamma talks. New students come in and listen to the old students. That every teacher who's going to learn to teach has to have the experience of the teaching. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I rejected that for so long because it was always money to get a teacher. And I always felt like I don't I don't feel like that's the truth. Like in the sense like like in the sense like all oh, this guru teacher, if that's true, then that would be free, right? Mm-hmm. Like if they're really the real deal, then why would they need my interest? There's no need for my money. Unless and I so, give it for generosity or something. And because of the retreats, and now because of the COVID, nobody's doing any retreats. Yeah. But when yeah. they were doing the retreats, the retreats are full up. Yeah. They, yeah. And we don't have enough retreat centers to do those kinds of retreats. While we have 300 Asian watts in the United States, at least 300. But that's a little bit when you think about how many how many people are interested in meditation and Buddhism. Well, at um, uh, an example of uh, what Atam uh, Mayatarama, which is in Seattle, they call it Wat Atam for short, have photos showing uh, the meditation uh, weekly meditation sitting. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You look very closely at all the faces, they're all Asian. Yeah. No, no, Westerners are not there. We need to bridge that gap. Yeah, because naturally... I'm sorry. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. Hold on to your thought. I was only going to say one thing, and and that is, in fact, there are seven nights a week that we could be having a sitting practice in Seattle. If there were that many people who would come to the watch. Yeah. But the watch advertise in Thai language because they're Thai cultural centers. Yeah. And, and I was going to say that, uh, I, I apologize. I was just going to say a quick thought that, uh, in effect, that's the reason why, for me personally, like, uh, there's like uh, uncomfortableness. Because you're like, you want to introduce yourself. You want to, like, you're really enjoyable about it. But then you're like, you don't even speak their language. So how can you relate on some level? Well, there's two points about that. One is, is that these are intentionally Asian Wats. That if you walk into a typical Thai Wat, it's like walking into Thailand. And you don't want to be offensive either. 
Either. Well, that yes. means that we need some training. But the point that I was about to make is, is that but the people who go to that Watt, they live, they're, they're American citizens, most of them. They speak English. In, in which one? Oh, in the Watt now? And they will speak English to you in the Watt mm. if yeah. they have to. And they have to if you can't speak Thai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But they go there intentionally, not to just to speak their Thai language, but they also go there to do their best Thai cuisine. Yeah, yeah, I've seen but that. I learned yeah. all about that in the in the Lao Watts because the little old Lao ladies would go to great lengths to get the uh, the bushes, the grasses, uh, the weeds that they use in their cooking so that they could have authentic Lao food, upcountry food, at the Watt. <clears throat> I said all along that I'm still a student of Lao cooking. <laughs> Never became an expert at eating Lao food. <laughs> and there's the other side, and that is at the Thai Watts, I know for sure that many of the people who run Thai restaurants in the West are very much involved with the with the watch and they do a lot of the feeding of the monks but the food that they give them the monks is real thai food authentic thai food not the stuff that they sell in their restaurants <laughs> yeah but in any case the point that i was making was is that seven nights a week if we had enough audience to come but then you made the point about yes there is that language and cultural barrier, and then there is the shy part from the Westerners because they don't know what to do or how to fit in. Yeah. That's why Eric and uh, Dan and Noah, uh, working with the other Eric, uh, which I'm about to tell you about, to make some videos, some short videos about Thai culture, or Asian culture, how to go to the what, how to fit in. In fact, we have a very long talk already on our, our channel where we, uh, Robert and I went into all of the details about how to go into a, a, an Asian what. But we're looking for short videos that then we can put out on Reddit or around for people uh, just in general, just to get the idea, hey, wouldn't it be a better idea for you to go to a, 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 an Asian Watt for your meditation practice and perhaps a retreat for free or pay the retreat centers big bucks for it? Well, I think that the problem is also is that like a place like Spirit Rock, for example, um, or a place like Zen centers uh, there. I, I hate using this word because I don't I don't like to use it as much. But it's secular, like it's not, there's no Buddhist statue. There's, it's very westernized in the sense that this is a business and I'm helping you get no better. No statues, that's a change. Yeah, the yeah. Last but you time know I, I was there, there was statues around. But you know what I mean? Like, uh, like, like in the sense, like it's very like, it's less I don't want to say Buddhist because I don't I don't think that's the right way to say it. Um, they, yeah. In fact, that's the, that's one way of talking about it, that in fact, um, 
you will appeal to a larger Western audience yeah. by not advertising Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like there's a can... lot of negative connotation to the Buddhism because many people think that it's a religion. But that in fact, like... talking about it in the sense of the Dhamma or talking about it in the sense of even just using the word meditation, because even though they're talking about it in secular terms, they still use the same some of the words. Yeah, exactly. And But okay. I feel like they risk some of it. Like I'm, cause I'm, I'm, I'm liberal and conservative. Like I, I try to, but when it comes to like, if you're saying something that is genuinely not true, that is not true, and like you're just saying it because you, sometimes like I've heard teachers say things, and I'm like, this is definitely not. It's just like a feeling, like because I've done it. I mean, I see it in myself. It's the same thing. So it's like, it's very like a. It can get weird in the sense of like, it can get lonely because there's no community in the sense of without money, without ties to the world in that sense. That's what this is really all about is uh, Sangha on two different levels, maybe a third one, but let's talk about the two levels. The first level is to get Westerners more involved with the Asian Watts. Yeah. To meet the monks, to learn a little bit of the, uh, uh, the culture, and to have Dhamma talks by uh, the Western or the English language speaking uh, monks. In fact, uh, that's the idea that Noah just had a few minutes ago was let's see if we can get Achan uh, Bun or Achan Reet or Achan. Uh, gosh, I know quite a number of the abbots in the U.S. to get one of them, or maybe a whole series of them, to give a Zoom talk just for Westerners. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so we're going to work on uh, doing that. The next part would be uh, that interconnection uh, that goes along with that, so that uh, people... Uh, let us say, who live in one particular city, they wind up knowing about the watch in various other places, that we actually let this information out, get these uh, um, Asian Dhamma teachers um, known. Yeah. Uh, and uh, give them the facilities and the classes to do the Zoom and, and all of that kind of stuff. So that's one kind of level. The other level is the level of the organization that we're already starting, and that is the organization that's designed to support Dhamma teachers in getting into these watts, which is a, a very large community already. We've got 50 people in it, but about 20 of us are actually actively working. And so I would enjoy uh, you joining in on our group uh, and finding um, a niche and something to do because there's a lot of different projects that we've got going, including a, a book and newsletters and video recordings and editing and um, all of that kind of stuff uh, to get the word out. Yeah, I would love to help. Just let me, just give me the info and everything, all the detail. 
All right. Well, I'll send you a list of uh, uh, contacts um, to uh, on on your Skype. There'll just be one guy after another after another, and you can uh, send them a heads up saying hi, how you doing, or or whatever like that. Um, and you can also exchange emails. So I'll I'll go ahead and give you um, a a list of folks. Uh, but in any case, the uh, the idea is is to get some newsletters and some small videos that we can then spread around uh, the various websites like Reddit and other places like this uh, with basically asking people the question, do you think that it's really better to spend $2,000 for a 10-day retreat? Yeah, it's not ever. <laughs> or, to do, or to do a similar retreat for basically nothing, knowing that you're going to get basically nothing for accommodations. You're not going to get a hotel room. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're not going to get <laughs> restaurant-quality food. You're going to get a space on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But then, uh, with that, that, that opens it up and makes it much more egalitarian to where we can then intentionally go after other excellent groups. Yeah, yeah. Hispanic and black and other things like this, because the Asians have already got this wired. Um, yeah. Wow! But, yes, that's amazing. I love that you're saying this because I, I, I really, I like really thought about this for a really long time. Like I really thought about that in art, with art, with everything. Just a lot of things are like that. It's not just Buddhism in general. It's just in general. But you're not the only one. Yeah. That does, there's others of us who have these ideas and say, well, you know, we've got enough, a group of people that have these ideas. Let's start doing some of it. Let's actually do some of these videos. Let's start putting out this information on the web. Um, uh, the one point that I was thinking that would be a sticking point or a growth issue is that if we advertise too much, if we put out too many blogs or actually do paid advertisement, then what are we going to do with a whole bunch of people coming in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because by myself, I don't have the time. Yeah. Three or four calls a day is about all I can do today. In fact, <laughs> after this call, the next call will be the sixth call today. Wow, that's a lot uh, of calls. Well, it's easy. Yeah. I don't have to do anything except just get <laughs> yeah. and talk and enjoy my students and enjoy my friends. Yeah. But what we need to do is to attract those people who actually have been in the Dhamma, but their situation is like this. They don't have that much money. They can't afford these expensive retreats. They have to work at a job. All they've got is Dhamma out of a book. And maybe they go to Reddit. And when they're talking to the people on Reddit, they're talking about people who are no better off than they are. And so yeah. they wind up arguing with each other about what's going on. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Reddit and, especially. And so <laughs> if, if this group, would come, we've already got enough uh, students 
who are looking at it. In fact, I just had another talk this morning with Chen Tan about could he do this? And he's shy, but he says, yeah, maybe. All right, but Danny's already doing it, and that is, Danny is ready for some Skype calls. Matt would be ready to do it. There's a number of students I've got, so if we had a sudden influx of people who were interested, we already have uh, students who are steeped in the Dhamma who are ready to make that kind of uh, lunch. That, in fact, one of the things that we would talk about in general <clears throat> as an organization would be, what are the qualifications of a teacher? And how does one gain those qualifications? Because you see in the Western mind, they're going to have, oh, I know what the qualifications are. He's got a piece of paper. He's got a certificate. He's got a yeah. PhD. He's got something that Jack wrote. He's got <laughs> a piece of paper. He's certified. Okay. Yeah. And then the question is, well, who certified him? And the answer is, oh, well, I paid a lot of money for that certification. It must be worth something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like graduation. <laughs> Precisely. Exactly. That's what he's possibly doing is turning Dami into just another. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. I have met a few people on the Internet who have PhDs from Harvard University School of Buddhist Studies. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Those guys have never been to a what? They've never ordained. All they've done is read books. And they've read books that were told them to read by people who also have no training in Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And so they wind up getting into great big arguments over the Dhamma that they don't even understand. Yeah, well, that's because one of them had the point about, well, you can't have sunyata because we know particle physics. Particle physics proves that sunyata couldn't possibly exist. And this guy's got a PhD. He doesn't understand sunyata at all. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, like uh, uh, in that sense, like you said, it was a graduation. Um, I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. Uh, the, the qualifications of being a teacher. Um, I was going to say, like you said about the graduation. I think I'm trying to remember. Um, actually, you can go ahead because I completely forgot. All right. Within the, within the, the traditional Theravada forest tradition of Thailand, etc., there is the qualification that in fact this qualification system goes right back to the Buddha. And that is, is that the very, very best teachers are Sotapan. That's, yeah, yeah. Asutas, Asutas say that pretty much. Mm-hmm. And the best way to become a teacher is by practicing teaching. And if you're practicing teaching with enthusiasm, then you're in the wholesome. Yeah. Okay, so all of this stuff works together. Now, one of the biggest and most important qualifications for Sotapan, let us call it one of the, how does, not the foundation, not the guts of it, but the fruit, mm. the benefit yeah. is 
enthusiasm for the Dhamma. That yeah. if you know the Dhamma well enough so that that's more important to you than anything else in your life, now you're ready to become a real Dhamma dude, which means now you do spend your life in the Dhamma, which means now you're online with your other Dhamma friends and you speak Dhamma and you talk Dhamma with them. That would be great. <laughs> that's what I mean, we're that's looking always for. Been, that's always been, um, it's a huge part, I think, that people miss out on in, in the West, like noble friendship, right? Noble mm -hmm. friendship, basically. It's a yeah. noble friendship. In fact, that's it. But we're all friends together. You see, in the business world, you have a one up, a one down. You have a teacher, you have a student. That is fixed. Yeah. Even if you train as a, uh, as, a, as a teacher and you pay all the money and become a teacher, still you're stuck in the hierarchy because your trainer is more superior to you than you are, and you never really come to that state of friendship. Mm -hmm. yeah. With the Dhamma being freely given, it's friends from the beginning. Yeah. There's never that hierarchy of I'm better than you are and you pay me money mentality. But in fact, the psychologists, <clears throat> they get attached to their patients because the patients pay money. The clients pay money. Therefore, the, the psychologist, why should he cure someone only to go broke? Yeah, I know. That's the contradiction of all basically Western medicine in the sense. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> but in the old Chinese medicine, um, uh, at a level of the aristocracy, the aristocrat would pay a uh, what you would call maybe an insurance fee. But he would pay it to the doctor directly. And now the doctor's job is to keep that guy alive long enough for him to make next year's installment. And that's a much, much better service than pay for, pay for every visit. Because paying for every visit means now the doctor wants you sick. Well, that's, that's why the huge medicine, you know, the, the conflict right now with uh, indigenous medicine and different medicines in general, um, opening the door up basically for cures and not for, you know, just giving you every week a new thing. Like well, that's exactly what's going to happen to the Dhamma in money is, is that it's going to be a promise of cure with an underlying foundation that guarantees that the cures don't happen. Yeah. That's Just really like the about. pharmaceutical companies in the United States now are hot on making medicines not to cure but to postpone the life. For instance, uh, instead of actually coming up with a cure for diabetes uh, or a diabetic situation, what they do instead is give the people insulin and then charge them huge amounts of money for the insulin that their body won't create. Yeah. That's just one of many examples of that. But the yeah. pharmaceutical industry, okay, so that same thing is happening in the, with with the money for the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. 
And here's how, here's how it works out in one respect, and that is somebody decides to go to retreat. He, he goes on the web, he looks for it, and the things that he's looking for is going to be my time, my travel, and the expense of the retreat. And maybe the teacher's name is number four on the list. But how much is it going to cost? That's the thing that he's looking at. And that's how he yeah. joins the retreat. Yeah. And so he walks into the retreat with no foundation. That's the only retreat foundation he's got is me, 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 me. When yeah. he does the retreat, he's listening to what is said, but that's being said to everyone. His relationship with the teacher is spotty at best, 15 minutes here and there. This is all then making they, very much sense. <laughs> and, and then at the end of the retreat, what happens? Well, he paid for his retreat. He got what he paid for. Bye-bye. You're out and of here. It ends up being dukkha because you paid for it. So, like, you're expecting something already. Like, right. Because you're naturally... And if you didn't get it, it's your fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like always. Like always. Uh-huh. Okay, so that means then that there is no prep, very little establishment of friendship and community within the retreat, and then at the end of the retreat, it's cold turkey. Yeah. And you didn't get anything out of it. Now, that's not exactly how it works if somebody uh, like this looks on the web and they get this and, and they walk into the watch. But they're not going to walk into the watch. They're going to know what's going on. Even in Thailand, the kids who go into the watch to, uh, to ordain, they know about that watch. They've been in that watch their whole life. Their uncles are ordained monks. Their mama goes there every day. She feeds the monks, and now she's kicking Junior and putting him in there, and he knows what's going on. Right? But that's not how we do the retreats in the West. The way to do the retreats in the West would be for people to already become established with and friends at the place where they're going to do the retreat. They already know the people. Yeah. They may, in fact, be part of the organization of the retreat. While they're in the retreat, they're in familiar territory. And at the end of the retreat, they have follow up. It's always an open door. The only thing is, is this watch close enough to the guy's house to make it worthwhile for him to get in his car and travel? Yeah. Because it may be 30 kilometers or so. Yeah. Because there's, there's only a 300, there's not 3,000 or 30,000 watts. So would this be like ordaining a teacher or ordaining someone? Or just no, saying... In fact, I would, I would imagine... <clears throat> I would imagine several different possibilities. One is, is that depending upon the abbot, they will, in fact, ordain there in, in the United States. Others will make an arrangement for the, for the Western student to go to their wat in Thailand for the ordination. Another possibility would be to introduce them to the Western Sangha that already exist in the West through Achan Cha's tradition, 
And the other possibility which we're opening up is to have this Skype Zoom Sangha to where we know each other all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And so that one guy can, in fact, he knows everybody around, so he's at his local temple, and he says, well, I think I'm wanting to ordain. Instead of uh, only having the local monk available to him, he will also have the Sangha so that we can recommend other wants and other temples. For instance, there is someone who is in um, a Watt in Atlanta, and someone is in Oregon, and he says, well, this this Watt in Oregon um, uh, is not ready for having Westerners ordained here. They don't have all of the stuff that's needed. And the guys in Atlanta says, we have it here. We've already gotten three guys ordained here. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Okay, so this... So this is the kind of thing that we can do if we get organized, but it's got to have that organization done in the English language. But the organization is tilting towards the Thai Sangha, the Laotian Sangha, who are really open to this. In fact, Robert and I, Robert, by the way, he lives in Thailand and his Thai language is excellent. Mine is spotty at best. And he and I know some mutual friends, uh, Achan Tanit in Washington, D.C. We know him. Uh, and uh, so Robert and I have already been talking. We talked to Achan um, uh, uh, Reed in Seattle to try to get um, um, Eric to stay at his watch. But the lay people there have put a very strict COVID no-go, but Aichan Reek then helped us set up so that Eric could go stay at the other Taiwan in Seattle. So we, I mean, we've already got this community, this connection system going. We need to be able to multiply at times one or two or 3,000 people. Yeah, that would, uh, <laughs> that would be because, a big... Because you see, even though uh, Eric is unique, He's not that unique. What do I mean by unique? That means that he was in the Navy. He's on uh, VA disability. Oh, okay. He's unemployed. Mm. He's unmarried. Nice. And he's a Dhamma dude. End of the Dhamma, okay? So he's in. He's actually yeah. been there for five months. I'm just so pleased. I mean, even though I knew it would happen, I'm still impressed that it's so easy. Yeah. What, that if, what, you're willing to, if you're willing to walk in to the Watt and live there, they're willing to have you there. Yeah. Like, well, like my plan was to ordain um, next year somewhere or like stay somewhere next year. And... Uh, I don't know where, you know, I was going to ask that later in the year when I was closer. What what city do you live in? I live in Winter Park, Florida. Oh, I know some places in Florida. Do you know? I really don't. I've ne- I haven't even I haven't even. It's uh, a big watt in uh, in Orlando. And the last time I was there, which was 15 years or so ago, there was actually a Western month there. 
Bingo. I I, I know one. Um, Damaram. That one too. Where is that one? In Kissimmee. Where? In Kissimmee, Kissimmee, Florida. Kissimmee. Okay. Kissimmee. I have been to Circle Watch, but not that one. Yeah, yeah. I know there's one in the Panhandle. Is that it? Oh no, I've. I think I know which one you're talking about. There's very few in Florida, though, because I've searched my whole like I've searched for How three many? years. And and I mean, there's there's very very few. There's Vietnamese. There's uh, Thai. There's Zen mixed Lao. with like Christian. Um, <laughs> there's, there's Lao. I know there's, Lao. Okay. I yeah, don't know of any Cambodian watch in uh, in Florida, but Thai and uh, Lao watch I know for sure. Three yeah. or four. Yeah. Yeah. Once they get established, it's generally going to keep established because the upfront money for buying the land, the property, etc., like that, is almost always a big expense. Any buildings they build, they build them uh, as they need them. But the problem is, is that usually I visited one, and it seems like there is no forest. There's nothing. It's just like they're in the middle of neighborhood, like. They're so they're kind of just like another thing within a plaza, you know, like like there's in, well in Florida, it's like where I live. Not this one in Orlando. It's got a huge campus. Man, I got a I got. Do you right, know the name? Right, very ornate Thai buildings. Do you know the name? I'll get it for you. Please, please, when you can. Yes. So this is exactly what I'm I'm looking for is to start telling the guys whether they just dama 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 dama. Let's talk about some of the other things that can happen so that we can promote the dama. Yeah, it's very it's very um, different because you know you it's almost funny because you don't really have anything to promote in that sense. Like I don't have any what. Like, you don't really have, like, in the sense, like, because I, I came from, like, I was a Christian for a little bit. And you, you have something to offer, right? Like, when you're evangelizing. But when the Dhamma, you're like, it's funny in a joking way. You have nothing. Like, you don't really, like, it's kind of joyful because you know the joke. It's like, okay, you're coming here. But, like, you know, you're going to be satisfied. This is, this is the thing. This is about being satisfied, like, mm -hmm. with your life and everything else. So. It's very like it's like something that's been on my mind for so long because of the fact that I've always felt because I've been in that, uh, I guess, um, caste or something where it's like poverty in the sense of like there's so many things available for meditators, uh, masters, you know, masters that cost a lot of money. And that, you know, like I think it took me a little bit to get over it because uh like it was even got depressed because I was like, I'm never going to find a teacher. I'm always going to be like stuck in my own mind or something like that. Like in the sense of, you know, I'm never going to get over my huddles that I can't see for myself. So it's like, but uh, yeah, yeah. And that, that can get to people's head. It can discourage them if they really let it do it, you know. Um, yeah. The Sangha in Thailand is on multiple levels. Mm hmm. Um, uh, the Sangha is, and when I say a Sangha, I'm talking about a, a Sangha. Let me define the word Sangha. 
because a lot of people will say that, oh, we have a meditation retreat center here and we have <clears throat> 30 or 40 or 50 people who come once a week and sit together. That's our Sangha. Mm -hmm. Basically, though, what a Sangha is, is a community of friends. You can define it as that, that the Sangha is a community of friends. That community then can be on multiple levels, just like you on, uh, can have many friends. Most of the people that you communicate with would be acquaintances. They're not really friends. But at that level of acquaintance, you've got people at the store, you've got people at your work, you've got people who are neighbors, you've got people who live with you, you've got all of these people that you personally contact. In that regard, if you are, uh, let us say, in the Sangha, then uh, you would be friends then with the, so at the Watt, you would be friends with the community, you would be friends with the other monks in the Watt, but then the senior monks in that Watt will be friends with the other senior monks in the other Watts around, and that the higher in that hierarchy goes, then the more diverse your friendships are going to be, and they do that intentionally. An example of it is, is that uh, the monks that I was uh, living with at Watt So and Mok in the 1980s most of those are now the abbots of all of the big temples throughout South Thailand, which I find quite amusing. Because they wanted monks that were associated with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. And so that whole system works that way. So within our setup, what we're talking about is, is that right now we do not have much of any kind of Western Sangha. Yeah, pretty much a community of friends who talk Dhamma with each other. And so this is uh, part of the reason to start, even start this organization that I'm talking about is to get the guys talking about Dhamma amongst themselves rather than just calling me. Yeah, you know, I've never, I've the only per you're the only person I talk to about this. That's it. Okay, well, I'm about to unload on you uh, a dozen or so guys that you can um, communicate like, with, talk about uh, the Dhamma, etc. Well, I meant like you, I talk to people about it, but there's never like an actual, like I try to motivate people and try to, and try to talk in their language and try to give what I can. Um, and, you know, but it never really turns into like, oh my God, this is actually a person that practices too. Like, whoa, that's weird. You know, that's rare. I've never met someone like that. Whenever someone says, I want to meditate, I'm like, oh, what? You want to meditate? Oh, my God. You know, like, I'm so happy. I'm so surprised. You know, like, that's crazy. So that means you're probably not going to run across somebody who says meditation? Yeah, I've been there, done that. Oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> In that regard, I don't even consider myself a meditation teacher. Yeah, yeah. I talk with my friends about Dhamma. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you try, but like, um, it, it's nice that, to have that environment where you know what you're coming for. And in mm -hmm. that sense, we can all get down to, to what, what we're here for, which is to be happy and to relax and chill. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. So I've got another caller uh, waiting, and um, this has been a nice, interesting talk. We haven't talked too much about the Dhamma. I hope that's okay with you, and I hope to see you really soon. But yes. meanwhile, I'm going to send you some stuff, including stuff about Florida Watch and, and also our, our group. Please, please, yes. yes. Uh, welcome okay. aboard. I'm glad that you're willing to come and help. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Honored. And um, I wanted to say, yeah, I'll call you next week after the weekend. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.